0: Good morning, whoops, my name is Joe and I'm one of the deacons here at Church of the Valley and for those of you who may not know me and my family, um, my wife Whitney and I, we have four kids and we moved back to the Valley about two years ago, almost two years ago, this coming January after having previously lived here in 2016 and during that time we had been part of this church body when we met downtown So uh, it's a great privilege and an honor to come and preach to you this morning. My youngest son is four, and I said we've had four kids. He's our youngest, and he just realized uh, pretty recently probably that he even has friends. Um, So let's just say he's pretty new at this. The other night at dinner, he was listing off to us all of his friends, and he just kept adding all these different names. And he, he mentioned somebody that I hadn't heard of before, and so I just asked who she was. And he told me that he got into an argument with this girl in Sunday school. The teacher, quote, got on to him, and now they're friends. So that's it. Um, Simple enough. Now, my full-time job is actually a stay-at-home dad now. But before uh, our oldest son was born, I used to work in Chicago as a therapist working with teenagers. I worked specifically with teenage boys that were involved in some way with the justice system, and they needed guidance. Now, these boys had been abused and removed from their homes. In many cases, they had hurt themselves or hurt others. They didn't like authority. They didn't like following rules. And they were constantly getting into fights. There were several times I actually even had to visit some of them in jail. Now, my job was to help them talk through and hopefully process their experiences, to learn how to better manage their emotions and behaviors. It was an extremely difficult job. Most of the time, it felt like I was taking uh, two ste- or one step forward, two steps back. It was just not a whole lot of progress that I saw. And many days, I struggled with how to best love these kids, if I even wanted to at all. No amount of education or training or experience could have prepared me for that. Now, some days, it might be easier. But loving others is not our default position. It's not our natural inclination. And it's not as easy as my four-year-old would lead us to believe. But thankfully, we have a great teacher and helper in the persons of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. I titled today's sermon, Life Among the Branches. We've spent the last several weeks talking about what it is to abide in Christ, that Jesus is the vine, God is the vine dresser, and we are called as the branches to abide in Him and bear fruit. We connect with the Father through prayer and the study of His Word. But what does life look like among the branches? And how are we to interact with and relate to other people? What is our purpose in producing fruit as a branch connected to the vine? Have you ever wondered what good is the fruit that we bear in our lives when abiding in Christ? Before we continue, I'd like to reread the passage and pray again, if I may. In verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Father God, I pray that your word would be preached clearly this morning. Let it encourage us and let it show us how to love. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us in order that we might become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, two significant things happen in this passage. First, Jesus calls his disciples friends. They are no longer servants. He gives them a new identity. And second, he calls them to a greater obedience, to love others as he loves them. This passage is so significant that it's considered by some scholars to be the central theme or the heart of Jesus' farewell to his disciples. It's bookended by the same command. Now, we previously talked that he's preparing his disciples as he knows his hour has come. He's previously warned them that he will be returning to the Father soon, but he promises that he sends a helper, the Holy Spirit. And then he teaches them the importance of what it looks like to abide with Christ. Now, knowing his time is coming to an end, he reiterates his previous command from chapter 13. Love one another as I have loved you. We are getting to the crux of why, as followers of Jesus, we do what we do. So part one, Jesus calls us friends. Before we get to the commandment, Love one another as I have loved you. I want to first look at the relational shift that takes place in this passage. In verses 14 and 15 again, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is elevating his disciples' status from servant To friend. The disciples are getting a promotion. So, what does this promotion mean for them and for us? Servants or slaves are expected to obey their master without question or explanation. In this context, a servant is not privileged to know why the master does what he does, he just obeys. As friends, however, the disciples are invited to not simply follow orders but to know the Father and to participate openly in his works. Jesus' hour has come, and he is finally letting the disciples in on God's plan for redemption. In verse 15, For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus has already promised them that he sends the Holy Spirit. We previously read in John fourteen twenty six, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will illuminate what was previously unknown to the disciples. The words and works of Jesus, all of his parables, all of his teaching become clear to them in the light of his death and resurrection and upon receiving the Holy Spirit. Several months ago, Wes preached, and he, one of the main points of his sermon was the disciples kept missing the point. Jesus' followers kept missing the point. At this point, when they uh, are called friends, no longer servants, the Holy Spirit will come down and they're no longer going to miss the point. And this new understanding comes from a new relationship, a friendship with God. Because servants are interchangeable, they're mere tools of the master. The term friends, it implies an intimate relationship. The Holy Spirit, then, it's a gift from a friend, not a master. While Jesus will soon be absent from them in body, he will remain even closer to them in the person of the Holy Spirit. And with this new relationship comes new responsibility. In verse 14, he says you are my friends if you do what i command you even as friends we're still subject to obedience to the father in the same way that jesus and the father were one but jesus subjected himself to god we too are to be obedient to what god commands but we should not look to obedience as being restrictive or oppressive instead it is life-giving it's transformative Obedience is not a precondition for Christ's love, but a response to it. When we obey God, we become more like Jesus or more Christ-like. We imitate him. We do what he did. We love like he loved, becoming more and more like the one we are to love above all else. In other words... Obedience is not what makes the disciples his friends. Instead, obedience characterizes or it describes the friends of Jesus. For example, if I claim to be a skier and I put on all the snow gear, the pants, the coat, the gloves, the goggles, I even spend all morning driving up the canyon in traffic, I hope I get a parking spot, I wait in line, I get a lift ticket, but I never go skiing, Am I actually a skier? In the same way, a person who claims to follow Christ but does not obey his commands, he does not do what Christ did, Jesus says that person is not a friend of God. It's important to note that this is not a reciprocated relationship, at least not in the way that we might think of friendships that we might have. If we read in verse 16... Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. A typical relationship might start like this. You you meet someone, you start talking, you find out what you all have in common, and then you go from there. There's a back and forth. But in our relationship with Jesus, we don't have anything to offer. When he first called his disciples to follow him, Jesus did not study a draft guide like one might choose Uh, their fantasy football team. He didn't carefully weigh the strengths and weaknesses of Peter, James, and John. Quite the opposite. Jesus purposefully chose a largely unimpressive, unworthy group of men, and then he showed them what it was to love God. In fact, in a matter of a few hours, those same friends that he chose will deny him. They'll curse his name and then they will abandon him out of fear for their own lives. I myself am most certainly an imperfect messenger for this message. No, Jesus does not look to us for what we might have to offer him, for he needs nothing. Instead, he confers the title friend because of his great love for us. And what is the purpose of our obedience? Verse 16 again, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So why is fruit so important? The fruits of the Spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness. Self control. These fruits are the evidence of the transforming power of God in our lives. These are not natural personality traits. You're not going to find these in yourself from the Enneagram. We do not come by some more naturally than others. On my best day as a dad, I am not naturally patient, I'm not naturally gentle. And I'm not even naturally loving. But when we submit ourselves in obedience to the Holy Spirit, He begins to make us more Christ-like. We begin to resemble Christ more closely, and as a result, we reflect God's character. That is, the fruits of the Spirit. They all come from Him. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. Now, verse 16, it's not the blank check that some people misunderstand it to be. In Jesus' name is not meant to be a sort of talisman that increases our odds of getting what we pray for. Instead, Jesus is assuring his disciples that in his physical absence, they will be given everything they need to accomplish the will of the Father. Whatever we ask of God, it must glorify him. If we abide in Christ, we know better what glorifies God. And God being a good Father, He gives us everything we need to fulfill His commandments. So what is it that God commands us to do? Part two, we are called to love others as Christ loves us. If there's one thing John wants us to remember, it's this. Jesus said, love each other As I have loved you. It's important enough that Jesus actually says it twice here in this passage, and John will repeat it throughout his gospel and his other letters. We read in John 13 34 to 35, which we studied a little while ago A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And in the letter, John in 1 John 4, 7-12, John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. And further down in verses 19 through 21, we love God, or we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So what's love got to do with it? That was a test to see who was paying attention. And also how old you are. Some of you passed. In his sermon on the same text, Charles Spurgeon wrote the following. I'm going to quote Charles Spurgeon because I think he writes beautifully, um, more so than I. Christ is the sun in our heavens, and his church is the moon. Why does the sun shine upon the moon? For the moon's sake, yes, in part, but also for the sake of the earth, which would be dark at night if the moon did not reflect the light it receives from the sun. Brother, sister, the light of Christ's love has fallen upon you, not only that it may benefit you, but also that you may reflect it. Elsewhere, Spurgeon highlights the practical application of love and action here on earth. He says, Love is a grace which has to do with eternity, for we shall never cease to love him who first loved us. But love has also to do with this present world, for it is at home in feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, nursing the sick, and liberating the slave. Spurgeon goes on to quote Jesus from Matthew 25. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Jesus demonstrated the same love wherever he went. When a woman, one of questionable moral reputation, sits down at a well alone in the middle of the heat of the day, Jesus recognizes her in her isolation and shows her great compassion. When the disciples are tired and impatient with the large hungry crowds, Jesus pauses and he takes the time to feed them. And when his friend Lazarus dies, Jesus weeps and he mourns alongside Mary and Martha. If we are to be like Christ, we must love as he loved We go where he went, and we care about the people he cares for. As I mentioned in my career as a therapist, I have personally found this, in practice, to be difficult, because it is difficult, impossible even, left on our own. But it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to love as Christ loves. When speaking on the fruits of the Spirit, Spurgeon had this to say about love. Next time you begin to boil over with wrath, think you feel a hand touching you and causing you to hear a gentle voice whispering, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Next time you say, I will never speak to that man again, I cannot endure him. Think you feel a fresh wind fanning your fevered brow, and hear the angel of mercy say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Next time you are inclined to find fault with everybody and set your brethren by the ears and create a general scuffle, I pray you let the chimes ring out, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. I don't know about the rest of you, but that resonates as a stay-at-home dad. In other words, for anyone who follows Jesus, Any time you feel the impulse of your own heart, of your own desires, of your own flesh, remember that the same Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead now resides in you and empowers you with the fruits of His Spirit. Part three, Christ's love is greater. Now, it might be easy for us to overlook or misunderstand a very important word In this text greater in verse 13 greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends now when Jesus says greater love has no one than this he's speaking from soon-to-be experience he is alluding to his impending death on the cross that will happen in a matter of hours now there are clearly differing degrees of love you may love your family I love the Kansas City Chiefs, and my four-year-old loves mac and cheese. Until he doesn't anymore. But as Spurgeon wrote, Jesus himself demonstrates love to people that is both great and greater. When Jesus sits with the woman at the well in the heat of the day, he not only treats her with great tenderness and compassion, but he offers himself as living water. And when Jesus instructs his disciples to hand out baskets upon baskets of fish and bread, he not only satisfies the crowd's temporary hunger, but he offers himself as the bread of life. And when Jesus cries out to Lazarus to come out of the tomb, he not only reunites Lazarus with his grieving loved ones, but he offers himself as eternal life. He offers himself. Jesus offers himself. With Jesus, there is always a greater love. Now, we ourselves can show love for others in so many different ways. But the greater love is to point them back to God, to reflect Christ the same way the moon reflects the rays of the sun. This is how God intended his followers to bring glory to himself. They will know you by your love. We get to proclaim, look at what my God has done. I was once blind, but now I see. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I'm able to love you because Jesus first loved me. Boast only in what God has done. And what has he done for us? Now there was another time long ago that mankind was befriended by God and he knew him intimately. So let's go back to the very beginning of the story and we read in Genesis 1. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. If we jump to Genesis 2, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. Jump down to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. This is it. This was the relationship that God intended to have with his creation. Adam and Eve were created in his image. He loved them. He spent time with them. He provided everything for them. He gave them a purpose, and they knew what that purpose was. They were fully known and yet not ashamed. They were his friends. But as we'll see, everything changes in Genesis 3. and made themselves loincloths. Adam and Eve, when tempted, doubted God. They doubted what God said to be true. They doubted God's purpose for them, and instead they sought their own way. They thought they knew better than God, and they disobeyed. Genesis 3 continued, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And if we skip down to verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. Sin and death entered the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience, severing the relationship that they enjoyed with God and subsequently our own. The creation is separated from its creator. The truly natural order of things is no more. No more relationship. No more friendship. God designed man and woman in his own image, meaning we were created to be in fellowship with both God and men, the same as God the Father is in relationship with Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit. But from Genesis 3 on, God works throughout history to bring his image bearers back into a relationship with him. He sets out on an incredible, awesome rescue plan. Sally Lloyd-Jones writes of this rescue plan. Some of you may have read this to your kids in the Jesus Storybook Bible. She says, God loved his children too much to let the story in there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day he would get his children back. One day he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. The rest of this book is that plan, the entire thing. God came back to earth himself as the man, Jesus Christ, and he lived a life of perfect obedience as a sacrifice for our sins. He took our place, and he died on the cross, but he was resurrected on the third day, defeating death once and for all. This plan, this awesome plan, restores the original friendship that God created in the garden. No more hiding. No more running from God. His purpose is to bring us back to his relationship in the garden. And this is the same love that Christ commands us to demonstrate this morning. Philippians 2, 3 through 11 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. "'Therefore God has highly exalted him "'and bestowed on him the name that is above every name "'so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow "'in heaven and on earth and under the earth, "'and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord "'to the glory of God the Father.'" This is the model. God loves us. We love God and one another And in humility, we point back to the cross and we praise the name of Jesus to the glory of God the Father. So as we enter a time of response, I'll invite the band back up as well as the prayer team. This is a time where we get to continue in our worship and reflect upon the word that um, God has given us this morning. I'd like to offer two different responses or challenges this morning. To followers of Christ, as friends of God, we are to be obedient to his commandments. We die to ourselves daily, and we choose to do his will, not our own. And how are we, his friends, supposed to best understand the heart of God, to know how to love like Jesus loved? We abide in him through prayer and the study of his word, that is Jesus Christ himself. And what does this great commandment look like in practice? I will defer one last time to Charles Spurgeon. As you have received the light of Christ's love, pass it on. Do you want to know where to find Christ? He is dwelling in his people, and especially in his poor people, in his suffering people, in his tried people, So when your heart is full of love to your Lord, let some of the light of it shine upon them. Perhaps this is a dark time with them, and a kind word from you or a kind action will be like the light of the moon to them in the middle of the night and will cause them great gladness. The moon cannot shine as brightly as the sun does, and you cannot love as much as Christ does, but you can be like the moon and shine with borrowed light you can reflect upon others the light of the love which Christ has shed upon your own soul. So, how will you love one another? This week, what will this look like in your everyday life? God has called you and He's given you a purpose to love one another as Christ loves you. In whatever you do, love one another, soak up the light of Christ like the sun. Let it war- his warmth of his love cover you and then reflect that same light back onto the branches. And for those who have not yet believed in Christ and in his death and resurrection, there is hope. Christ alone has the ability to graft the dead branches back into the vine, look to the cross, and see what God has done in the death and resurrection of his son. Believe that Jesus has paid the debt for your sins and follow him. He offers you grace and he invites you back into a friendship with him. Our prayer team and our pastors will be available to pray with you this morning as we continue in worship. So I invite you this morning to respond. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this great and awesome rescue plan that you put in motion for reconciling us back to you through the death and resurrection of your son. I pray that as we continue to hear the word of God that we would depend on you like the branches depend on the vine and that we would love. Holy Spirit, let us love God and love others, help us to do so. I pray you would let your light shine on us that we might reflect it back onto others. And I pray for those whom you're calling to yourself right now, that they would experience your irresistible love for the first time. Father, in all things I pray that we would give you the glory, that we would point others to you, that we would boast not in ourselves, We know that in our weakness, you are made strong, and it is for your glory. Everything you've done, we get to point back to you and say, look how awesome and wonderful you are. Father, thank you for reconciling us back into this great friendship. In Jesus' name, amen.